The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. today are highly experienced directors of photography with backgrounds in film, television documentary and commercial environments. George Meridian is a four-time Emmy Award nominee for his work in the popular hit series According to Jim, featuring Jim Belushi. He has also worked alongside actors including Kurt Russell, Warren Beatty and cinema photographer Vittorio Storaro. In developing cinematic skills in both film and multi-camera projects for TV and film. Thomas Tucker, as one of the leading directors in the San Francisco Bay Area, has among his tributes to his work received four Emmys during his 25 years as a director and director of photography. His commercial projects have seen him work with stars Vanessa Williams, Lisa Gibbons and Cindy Crawford, they join me today from Los Angeles and San Francisco to talk to recent collaboration in the making of commercials for Giant Procter & Gamble. George Meridian, Thomas Tucker, welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you, David, for having us. Yeah, thank you. Let's uh, jump straight into this uh, with a brief overview of uh, you gentlemen of your work. May I start with you, George Meridian? Could you give me a, a, a couple of minutes summary of uh, where you've been and what you're doing at the moment? Yes, uh, as you introduced me, I'm a, I am a cinematographer and I like to think of myself as, a, as an artist dealing with shadow and light. And since your subject is commercials, uh, maybe versus film television, I would say my work more in films deal with shadows, and my recent experience in commercials, definitely I was dealing more with light, and uh, it was a, a very fun collaboration, and but, but very different from uh, what I usually do. And uh, Thomas, uh, could you give me a, a background, please? I grew up in Southern California, uh, even though I never, I, I didn't start in the film business there. I always had an interest in photography myself, in still photography, never quite knew what I was going to do with it. And, uh, you know, in my early years, uh, I was just a hobbyist, uh, kind of knocking around, worked in restaurants, uh, I was cooking and managing uh, a restaurant in the early 70s, and sort of happened somebody on our crew was working at a community television station uh, and they invited me to come along they needed some extra help and they knew I knew something about cameras so I came along and and started helping them produce this uh, small community television show and it just you know it was kind of like the light bulb went on and uh, it was I had so much fun I realized it was a it was a great the channel for 
my creativity, uh, my interest in photography, and that it was a thriving industry. And, and I was very tired of being in a very hot kitchen, you know, and, and mopping the floors at the end of the night. And then, uh, you know, found my way back into, uh, into school for a couple of years and then found my way into San Francisco and sort of moved up the ladder, starting at a production company at the bottom end as a gopher, and then worked my way up through uh, the production department, the lighting department, you know, grip, gaffer, uh, eventually to being a cameraman, which is what I have been for over 20 years, 25 years, um, and have directed off and on for many years, but have really made uh, more of a transition into directing over the last three or four years, and then that's when I came upon my opportunity to uh, to meet George. You know, now that I've gotten into doing more commercials, infomercials, and that sort of thing, and uh, all of a sudden I'm now hiring uh, direct photography as opposed to being one of the directors of photography. So um, it was a it was a real interest. It's been an interesting transition for me. What about you, George? Uh, I, you've obviously been on a program before. I'm sure you'll be on many more, but the, the last program we charted your journey uh, in film and then, of course, into this wonderful television series. What was it that uh, made you feel that you wanted to have a go with the commercial work? Um, and, and are there any really different uh, paradigms and methodologies that you have to look at uh, over and beyond what you were doing with the multi-camera environment? Uh, yes. Well, I'm always up for new uh, challenges, uh, new opportunities. And uh, to get a commercial, or, or as Thomas said, an extended commercial, was, was, was quite an experience. And uh, usually... You have to have an extensive reel of the exact product that you're being hired to shoot. And uh, I, of course, didn't have those glamorous cover girl ads that you see, hair salon. But Thomas saw something in my uh, multi-camera work that lent itself to this project. And it was a bit of a fight for me to, to get the job but there are differences, definitely, in the commercial world. A lot of attention to detail, which I'm used to, and I put a lot in my film work. And uh, that lent itself, that muscle uh, in my brain uh, helped me with, with this uh, project. And uh, it, it was a, a great stretch. Thank goodness I had a, a background and a basis to... Um, add to uh, to Thomas's project and um, it brought all of my experience out to uh, to uh, try to make it successful I, I suppose Thomas you were you were really just giving George a chance here <laughs> as an apprentice is that correct it was I must say it was very nice of you to do that well yeah. I'm sure I <laughs> look at uh, if you look at George's credit uh, certainly mine pale uh, next to his so I was I was quite honored uh, that George was, was George was more than interested. He was very, very excited and enthusiastic um, ab about the project, which, which of course, m you know, made me uh, interested in him. Uh, and also, I looked at his work and saw, you know, I was looking for. It's a very difficult thing to find somebody who does this blend of multi-camera cinematography with an eye towards with with a filmic eye. 
and uh, it, 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 you know, as George has, I believe, told you in the past, you know, shooting from five angles at once simultaneously and trying to make it, you know, be rich and and have any sense of source lighting and uh, you know, in, any modeling at all is extremely difficult. And I just, you know, when I looked at his work, I, I realized that I was lucky to find a guy like this because uh, it, it's, it just was very rare. So it was an honor for me also just to see, you know, this, he's worked with some of the very best, and uh, he's been on the, you know, some of the largest uh, films. So, uh, you know, I just knew I would be in good hands. He was also very open to my input because I've put in many years as a director of photography on these kinds of projects. And he's, he was very open, and, and, you know, I could tell that we could work together. Looking uh, now at the particular commercial that you were both involved in, I realized it was a Procter & Gamble. And as in my notes, uh, gentlemen, I just wanted to look at consumerism, at the advertising model a bit here before we launch into the other areas. How do you guys see that in, in the way that you work? How do you approach this visually and lyrically with an experience or a knowledge of how the world works in terms of how the consumer thinks? Well, with this, Page Defiers uh, says that we were within the confines of this commercial, extended commercial. For me, it's almost a, a classical approach. It, it was all about presenting the product in, in the absolute best light. And that sort of, uh, as we said, the, the beauty that was at least uh, my or our guiding principles. So the consumerism, trying to sell products to uh, consumer, the approach we took for this was putting, putting it in the best light, where commercials, a lot of commercials these days, sort of go with the anti-classic, the anti-beauty, where it's sort of a YouTube-influenced look, where it's almost like the kid next door uh, shoots it, but that has a certain power to it also, where it's, you know, directly into the camera. It's low-tech and this and that, but my feeling on this, Procter & Gamble, they only deal really in billion-dollar types of projects, and this, this product we were uh, dealing with, I think, uh, was only, you know, grossing or <laughs> like a half a billion or so. Oh, is that, is, is that all? That's disappointing. That's all. So, <laughs> of course, they were trying to to get it up to over a billion, so they may they were they were experimenting with this their very first extended commercial infomercial, and uh, to try to boost sales. Where they with their research, they found this actually works. Getting kind of the the woman on the street and doing testimonials and the reality. So it was kind of a blend. But even that said, we were into making all that as pretty and appealing as possible. And uh, going with that approach, almost maybe a classical rather than, again, shooting with a prosumer camera and making it look degraded. Oh, this is real. You know, we're going to believe it more. I mean, Thomas can expound on this more. Well, I was going to ask you, Thomas, as a director, what do you have to come in with? uh, What sort of knowledge do you have to come in armed with before you even get to production? Do you have to analyze the the exact consumer, the demographics, uh, who they are, where they live, uh, what they do, what their lifestyle is for you to really grab hold of that uh, visual strength that, that you have to put out there? 
Well, you you know, it certainly helps to have as much of that at your you know at your disposal as possible. Fortunately, I'm most of that is given to me. You know, you have an ad agency involved, you have a client who's done all of their own demographic research, and you know, I mean, it really, as George said, it does. It really all comes down to selling. We, you know, we are charged. We are given the charge of uh, of putting together something that will sell. Uh, an idea and a product and and hopefully encourage people to pick up the phone and give this a try and yeah the more we know about the specific uh product the age group that we're targeting and and then of course we hear lots of information in this particular type of program we have lots of information from our women who are using the product already so it's not just all about image some of it is we're we're selling beauty uh, we're selling uh, anti-aging and a way to slow down the aging process. And we've got these real stories to, to latch on to, which really make this type of program more powerful. I think this is really why they work, is that they're, they're, they're involved real people telling uh, their own experience with the product as opposed to simply it being presented to you. So um, we, we take all that information and try to just wrap it in a, in a lovely, appealing package that uh, that gets people off the couch that's really all about that for you gentlemen uh, looking back over the years have you seen that approach change in any way that that methodology as people change as the world has changed particularly over the last 15 or 20 years probably thomas uh, can relate more to that to the commercials uh I think as far as technique, things have changed over the years. Uh, you know, more jingle-based, maybe bigger budget, uh, more of a sell, more uh, sort of a tangible sell, maybe moving into the, the MTV period, a little more disjointed, handheld to what I call maybe more of a YouTube approach uh, <clears throat> that I've seen even on Super Bowl. They spend two, three million dollars on a 30-second ad in there about as uh, low-tech. I think younger people can respond or people can respond to what, what's out there, more, more of a, like a home movie type of feeling. While you're, while you're in that domain, George, uh, for the sake of our listeners, can you expand a bit upon, and, and maybe Thomas come in to this, this argument or this discussion, on the cinema photography part of that job? Um, I think that some may say, well, it's a commercial. It's not, it's not a film with sweeping views and wonderful actors uh, standing on top of vistas. It's, it's a commercial. But how, how is the cinema photography work for you? And, and, and Thomas, you can come in on this. How is that important in, in both areas where you're, you have a facilitator or a moderator and then perhaps you have a location part of a commercial? How, how does that work? I think it uh, depends on the scope or the, uh, the the idea of the commercial. There's different approaches to it. Where, you, like you said, a moderator or it's it's more more of a direct sell or definitely more of an indirect sell. This this one in particular is very interesting for me because it combined. I think uh, used different methods of capturing the image to expound on that, where we used a, a digital uh, format and actual uh, film form to accentuate those different styles of the commercial. That was really interesting and great to me. And we even used different uh, digital cameras to kind of differentiate different parts of the commercial, but, but still to tie it together. Uh, a lot of it was on tripods, like stationary. We tried uh, some handheld. I, I don't know if it worked or not with this 
we can we can go into that later too. But some of my the most fun stuff was was uh, actually with the film, and uh, that that was great. I'm assuming that you're using film uh, for for enhancing uh, skin tones. Is that basically the the premise for that? What would you say, Thomas? Well, I would say, <laughs> in in many ways, still, uh, film is the standard for for beauty. You will find. High definition is, is has moved into almost parody with uh, 35 millimeter film for commercials, but you still will find most of the big budget fashion commercials are all still shot in film. It has to do with the way it renders all aspects of the tonal range, flesh tone, the contrast ratio, and also just the inherent look of film is somehow a little bit otherworldly it's not you know video it just we're all used to video from uh, you know we've been watching television and news and television shows and talk shows forever there's an immediacy uh, a reality to it that you you know that you don't really want in a film and that you don't really want in a beauty commercial you're creating your own world of beauty and i think film gives you that separation in a way, there's something about the chemistry of it that is just very, very different. It's also the, the power that you have in post-production in film. You can still now put high definition through those same tools, but traditionally uh, the power that you have in post-production in film is, is incredible when you have a well-exposed negative of ways that you can, you can change the look dramatically. And it just is, you know, I mean, there's just some, it, it's hard to describe. It's, it is different. And still, film seems to be the standard for beauty. So we choose in a project like this, it's very expensive to shoot film, so we will select parts of a 30-minute program where we'll do almost like a commercial within the infomercial that will be shot in film. <clears throat> we may shoot some of the products in film, and then we may shoot, if we have celebrity testimonial or a celebrity portion, we may choose to do that in film because it sort of elevates it and puts it in a little different look. You know, I have found that the variety in these kinds of shows is quite nice when the show modulates a little bit back and forth and you feel like you go from a moderator section that feels like a talk show and then you go away to a commercial, you go away to another segment that may be done in a, that has a different texture. So it all hopefully serves to, to push the sale and to push the, uh, the beauty. <laughs> Would that be apparent to the layman uh, watching it, uh, Thomas? And what are the challenges that you place upon the editor uh, when you're mixing film and digital together? Are there any specific vents or, or techniques that the editor has to be aware of? You know, I think the audience uh, is aware of it uh, subliminally. I do think that is changing now. High definition has gotten so beautiful and so good. <laughs> And, and the people that shoot it have adapted and learned how to adjust that now it is om it's getting more and more difficult to tell the difference between really well shot high definition uh, and film. Uh, but I still think there is a, a difference that people feel even even if they're, they're not quite aware of it. There's, there's just something different about the character of the image, the character of the depth of field is different. Uh, the whole way that the it, it's a, it's a it, uh, 35 millimeter film creates a three dimensionality because of its lack of depth. If you expose it with a wide aperture, it makes the background very soft, so it creates a kind of dimensionality that is very subliminal, but it's extremely powerful. You know, I think people 
they don't quite understand, but there's something there's something different about it. The editor it really can have a field day with this material. Uh, we do start out with a script. We think we know how it's going to be put together, but then the editor can mix and match in in a, in a kind of a tapestry that works with a combination of all these elements. They have a in our shows we usually have a studio element. We have testimonials, product shots. We have a commercial within the infomercial, and some grouping of all those things together. Things do seem to work back-to-back. It's not really jarring to go from film to video. And, and, I have, and even in feature films now, it, you're going to find that people are choosing to shoot portions of feature films in high definition and portions of feature films uh, back in film again, and they will cut together. People will never know. That, they, that the two mediums were used because the, the ability to blend them in post-production has gotten so good that it's just seamless. Is, um, would it be correct to say, George, that your handheld off-tripod would be mostly digital over film, or, or it, it does, does it not matter? Um, I think, uh, considering everything, it, it really doesn't matter. With this, this uh, project, all the handheld was, was digital, uh, that, that we used, it, it really uh, didn't didn't matter in this. And other projects, uh, handheld and film, uh might be. Uh, it's all about the same. It might be easier. There's, there's less uh, to record. You're more self-contained with film. You have the battery there with you, and you can run and uh, not be not necessarily be connected. But uh, I say, it, yeah, it's all gotten equal. The cameras are being developed more and more ergonomically. I would say it's about equal. Can you give an example of where handheld would be used? Would it be maybe look at the the info commercial part of this? I mean, maybe looking at the moderator, uh, Thomas. What, where would you use handheld in in that environment? When we had the moderator on our shoot, we chose that as as George mentioned. We chose to do that in a more formal and classic way. All the cameras were on tripods. We had a very very smooth crane. Uh, as well, so all the moves are very, very uh, gentle and smooth, and there's nothing distracting about any of the motion, so all the close-ups are extremely solid. And then when we went out on location uh, to do some of our, uh, you know, we, we, we followed some women into a spa and wanted it to feel much more like, you, you know, uh, uh, an energetic live documentary-style moment. Here we are, it's exciting, and so we chose then to put George handheld and he went around uh, with our host, and we interviewed uh, and looked into, uh, you know, we sort of had these people tell us about their experience at the spa using this product and so forth. And, it, and I've seen, you know, I've been looking at these rough cuts, and it works extremely well because it does feel like, you know, and it made sense for us all of a sudden. Here we are. We've got the camera on our shoulder. It puts you right in the action. It makes you feel it much, it's much more immediate. And, uh, and also the viewer, I mean, can, they know, they can tell immediately that the camera is handheld, and it, uh, it, I think it puts you much more right in the action, which is what we wanted. Are you uh, very storyboarded right from the beginning, or are you loose uh, when you come across different concepts or, or uh, situations that perhaps you were not expecting? You know, I, if I can afford it and the project has the budget, I love to be storyboarded. On this one, we weren't. But we had a very tight script, even though we didn't have a storyboard. We knew really how everything was going to fit together. But always trying to be open to those magic things that happen. Um, you know, we had, uh, I mean, this is not a big 
Bill, but on our show, you know, in, in just some of our discussions that we had with our host, who, you know, is, does, um, she, she has a, a program that is a, a kind of a celebrity hour, uh, and a very, very uh, beautiful and, and talented woman, and that she had been using this product and uh, really was in love with it and uh, uh, had tremendous results. Her husband was in, just thought she looked great. Her friends, she was getting a lot, lots of uh, people, you know, talking about uh, the changes in her face and so forth. We had never planned to actually sit down and do an interview with her. Um, and so when listening to her, we all looked at each other around the conference table and said, we, we've got the interview. We have to listen to this, this woman's real story about this product. This is a, this is a gift. Do you actually use it in the final cut? And it is, it is a, it's actually a very big part of the final cut. Um, you know, her real story. It's more than, now it's more than just a moderator. So these kind of things always come up. You hope that something good that is not something that you thought about uh, that will, will emerge that is something that has a little magic to it and, and something spontaneous and wonderful. Happens all the time when you're shooting. So, you know, we try to just be as planned as possible, but always open to something new uh, that, could, that could be even better than what we had planned uh, on the spot. But uh, just back to the storyboards, they're, they're a great tool, but they're, you know, it's, it's quite an expensive uh, proposition, especially for a 30-minute show to storyboard uh, something like that. Spots where it's 30 seconds, much easier process. What about, yes. your, what about yourself, George? Uh, do, what, what is it easier for you if you've been involved in fi film for so long, and of course you were involved in uh, the, the sitcom area for so long, and probably uh, bound by storyboards? How, how did that work differently for you in this environment? Um, well, uh, again, I don't like to think of anything as this is easier than this. I, I, I try to, uh, again, challenge myself and make it uh, the most realized that I can. But uh, I said I, I needed all of my experience to uh, support Thomas. And uh, not only were we shooting one, 180 degrees, but actually almost in the round, 360 degrees, which uh, I don't really do. In, uh, in sitcom, it's like a three-walled set. So uh, I really had to think this through, how to be covered for really 360 degrees. So that was a, a great challenge. And again, to make it look good, not flat, beautiful, five angles uh, all the time. So it, it was a great challenge from Thomas. And uh, let me say uh, that... Yeah, once a cinematographer, always a cinematographer, and that's Thomas. And his um, his experience in that field really worked and helped me. I would say he protected me in the pre-production, um, knowing exactly how long things took with production. Uh, again, making sure we had enough time to pre-light the set. I mean, everything that he brought up were, uh, happened. And uh, it, it was great. Again, I think we achieved higher heights with his background as a cinematographer and, uh, and, and as he moved into directing. It, it, again, he, he sort of protected us. And, uh, you know, three days to light, production wanted us to do it in two or one. We needed every bit of three days to uh, get the set up. So, again, it, it was great in that way. 
And, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, probably my most uh, rigorous uh, multi-camera experience, and uh, I, I really, really enjoyed it. What sort of lighting, Thomas, do you look for on a set like this? Uh, less about the, the moderator uh, portion of it, but more about those uh, smooth rolling scenes in a spa that you were d- defining earlier. Uh, what sort of lighting setup do you use? Well, in the spa, you know, we're really going for a much more, well, it's a minimal approach in terms of the lighting just by necessity uh, because of the the logistics in this particular place we were in, as George, I'm sure, is chuckling to himself, we were down in the in almost in a basement. The access was extremely hard in a tiny elevator and uh, no place to hide any lights or anything. So that was done with with uh, you know just a minimal amount uh, to keep it natural, to keep it looking like the real spa without any opportunities because we had no windows. We had no you know we couldn't put gigantic units outside and bring, you know, light flooding in windows and that sort of thing. So those were really, I would say, much more of a polished documentary style where, you know, you're clearly focused on the need to really keep people's faces looking beautiful, illuminated, and you really want, I mean, the women that are watching these programs want to see, that they're looking to see the results of this product. How, how, how do these women look? How does the skin look? So... You have to be very, you know, we're not, we're not selling faces that are in half shadow. You know, it's a, it's a blend of trying to achieve that kind of look without just simply bouncing a bunch of lights into the ceiling and, and having everything be open and flat and, and rather, rather plain. On the stage, you know, that, that's a whole different thing. As, as George mentions, it, it takes days to light. We had a, an enormous set, but it all comes down to lighting these close-ups of the women you know, I, George and I were, were looking for the same thing, and that is a beautiful, soft, kind of wrappy kind of light that has sparkle. You can light soft, and it can be very bland and boring. And if you, if you know how to add a few extra sparkles to it, you can, you can get a lovely look out of it, but it takes a lot of work. Given the functionality of the editing suite nowadays and with the many corrections that you can make, do you still put a lot of emphasis into warming up, cooling down, changing color temperature of of lighting on the set anyway so that you're actually minimizing the work of the editor? I I like to do that. I like to, you know, have the concept and do it. The spa in particular, it was a great place to uh, mix color temperature warm with cool and it, and it helped create depth with our minimal lighting package so uh, myself it's probably from the, my the film days where you like to add it whatever filter you decide you go for it you you know uh, and i think it it inspires you while you're making the movie or, or the commercial you you know you've committed to the look that you've discussed and uh it's not kind of a down the middle of the road. That, that's for me. Uh, and uh, I again, discussions with the director, what we come up for the look to express the story, the mood, I like to uh, use that. And, uh, you know, less work. Uh, even in the editing suite, they, they appreciate, you know, uh, a well-exposed negative, a well uh, exposed uh, digital image. It's, it makes everything better. So uh, that, that's that's my approach to it.
Can I ask you, Thomas, what are the main characteristics that you look from the the director of photography throughout the shoot? What specific support are you looking from that individual? Well, you know, it's interesting. The, it's a funny relationship uh, between a director and a director of photography. And on some ways, it, it's a little bit like a love affair, uh, which, which uh, you hope to keep uh, going. You need to have a certain infatuation with each other, I think, for things to work out well. As a director of photography, I'm looking for somebody, first of all, who's pleasant to be around and who, who hopefully can surprise me and and even exceed you know what I'm looking for visually and and where I could leave the room and if I have to go and and do uh, uh, some other task whether it be a, a casting call or a you name it go, go in a production meeting and then come back out and see what the DP uh, has has added with his own sense of taste uh, and just be knocked out by uh you know like that is you know just amazing and something i wouldn't have thought of and uh it's great to be surprised like that you obviously want somebody who's very technically proficient and who has a very good relationship with their crew who knows how to handle a crew and keep them going keep them inspired especially when the hours get long um and someone who is just relentless which george is you know the director of photography really is the advocate for the picture, for the for the visual element of the production, and he has to fight for that. And in a, in a production, is a tug of war always against time and money. And the DP has to keep raising his hand to say, "I need more time," or "I need another light," or "I you've got to give me another moment here, and I can improve this." And you and sometimes you know you you get your hand slapped, and you have to move on. But uh, you know George, as I always have been as a DP just never stop trying to improve so i'm looking for a guy who's never quite happy i i guess really george that it, this is a walk in the park is it not compared to a film like escape from new york <laughs> not really I, I knew that would make you laugh i knew that would <laughs> no uh, they're all i mean you want them to be challenges i mean i i never oh this is going to be easy no and in fact, as Thomas knows, and uh, it's just in my nature, my DNA, we, I, I just had to. I had to put it in about a week of my own time in, five days, scouting ahead, meetings with my crew, just to get things in place to, to make me feel more comfortable. So, again, we could hit the ground running. I didn't expect anything from production, you know, oh, thank you, Georgia. You know, and of course it didn't come, but uh, a shout-out from Thomas, he who knew that it was done and, and, and it was visible to, uh, to the you know, to production flow. So, uh, no, it's, uh, you got to get the job done. What is the, what is the relationship between the crew and the DP and the director and the production company itself? How, how does that all work? I mean, Thomas, do you uh, become very heavily involved in that at the beginning to ensure that you've got a, a crew that is orientated towards the commercial world? Or is that more yourself, George, in, in uh, ratifying that situation? Well... <clears throat> I, I, I mean, the director's probably involved earlier, so it probably starts with the director, but when the director of photography comes in, he has his issues and needs and definitely needs to express them, get the crew that he thinks will be uh, will work with 
with uh, this particular project. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's give and take. There's kind of a, a friendly you know, conflict between production and uh, the crew. It's, there's always a give and take. We need more than what they're willing to give, but there seems to always be a, a compromise. And, and our, our producer, production manager, even though he pleaded you know, poverty, we always seemed to have uh, what we needed. And I was ga- able to get a light that uh, Thomas introduced me to. Uh, I'll mention it, the breezy light. I really never heard of it. Very expensive light. You know, you'll, you'll never get it. You know. But Andre somehow managed to uh, to get it. Uh, he understood the value of it, the time saved. I mean, I think it was you know, $2,000 a day. It was ridiculous. But you see this trademark image and uh, it creates this circular uh, nice spot in, in, in the um, in the talent's face, in the eyes. We achieved that and, and again it, it moved us along and I, I was great to uh, to be exposed to it. So yeah, there's always that, that tension between production and crew but uh, you know if you're intelligent, have good enough reasons and it's not too antagonistic it always seems to uh, work out. But again, I think it starts with the director. Uh, in films, definitely, if uh, I get you know, up against a brick wall, and it's very important, sometimes the director might have to become involved to explain to the producer how uh, in, you know, important it is to get that extra camera, to get uh, this or that, this tool. But uh, even on this, like Thomas said, we had an incredible... Techno crane, this gigantic telescoping crane that's uh, that just added production value uh, like crazy. It was a, a very nice tool, and it added sweeping shots across the audience up to uh, our moderator. You know, big time moves that uh, you know normally you wouldn't get. But it, uh, this is Procter and Gamble's first extended commercial. I mean, can you believe it? They, and they have so many products, so kind of hoping that this works and it will open up a lot more opportunities. For you, Thomas, as a director, is there some synergy between the uh, speed at which a music video is produced and a commercial? I mean, clearly there's a big difference between commercials and TV shows and films. But what is that motion that you have to keep elevated all the time with commercials? Well, I, you know, of course it depends on the mood. Our 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 brand this particular type of production i think is you know there are sections of it that are that that, that perhaps are a little more like uh, a music video that are cut quickly uh that are you know where we're going for more of an M- M- mtv type feel but you know the i don't do much in the in the music video realm but it you know generally those Productions are—they uh, really are a different animal than, uh, than than what we're working with here. Of course, the concepts are all over the map as far as uh, anything goes in the music video world. They, they, no matter what the budget is for a music video, they're always trying to exceed uh, the—you know—the vision is way bigger than whatever. Even they—they they could have millions of dollars, and uh, and they, you know, just work twenty hours a day. Uh, and and pack in tremendous amounts of material because they really do, uh, you know, they want to have many, many choices in editorial to work with this, you know, to work with the song. 
very different, I think, than what we're doing. The whole pace of it um, is uh, is very different, at least in our world. It's not quite the same. You know, this this there are sections of it, like I say, that are quick cutting. But this is this is the you know this is kind of information based, if you will. It is an infomercial. It's about there is content. You have to have enough time to sit and listen to what people are saying. So um, you know, the pace of this particular type of production is is extremely different. I think both in production and in editing in every aspect. Even though there are sections that can be you know quite fun and quite lively. It, I think it's quite different from a music video. George, when you're working on this set, how do you view it? Are you constantly challenged? Are you, you know, racing at a great speed? Are you constantly thinking, uh, changing your aspect, changing your approach to it? What are the main priorities that you have? Yes, for me, it's all about details, 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 the nuance. I study the, uh, the screen, the image, and there's always ways to make it more visual, more uh, expressive, so uh, it's it's never ending for me to to keep uh, improving the image, keep uh, moving production design around, and uh, lighting is is uh, can can go on and on. We had uh, our moderator, sort of celebrity, uh, was very aware of uh, the lighting on her, and uh, we use so much light, but. At the end of the day, she was very complimentary of how she looked, and that was a big compliment and kudos to Thomas, the crew, et cetera. So to me, it, it's all about, like Thomas said, working the, working the shot, working that, that image on the monitor, working it, working it, till the assistant director you know, yells out, rolling. But uh, I heard that from Storaro. He'll never say he's ready until uh, you know, the, uh, the assistant director has to eventually say, you know, okay, rolling action. And I kind of feel the same way. Do both of you also have to be uh, choreographers, in a way, with uh, these types of models? Oh, yes. I mean, that's uh, one of the director's jobs in mind to help out is definitely choreographing, blocking the scene, making sure it works. Again, tells the story that it has a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's, it's doing what you want it to do, and then... I have to you know, make sure it's all technically working, the lighting, no camera shadows, etc. But yeah, uh, it's all about the choreography. Uh, the actors know where they need to be, where they need to look. On this, we had uh, some teleprompters. We only had two, and they were on certain cameras there. That was all choreographed also. Do you both, as a director and a director of photography, go in with the purpose of shooting more material than you would expect, just just so that the editor at the end of the day, maybe, Thomas, this is a question for you, the editor has more to work with rather than less, which is very often the case in these projects? Yeah, and certainly the answer is is a is a very big yes. You 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 know you try to shoot what is required and then some, uh, and then even some again if you can because you just want to give the editor uh, many options because it it really is another. I mean, it, it, it's a new art form that begins when the editing begins, and what sometimes what looked good on paper just doesn't work right, and they you find that the mixes and matches have to be changed. Certain scenes that you thought looked great at the time just don't play out when you see them on the screen, and they need to be replaced with other material. 
So you you know you're you're really want to have a wealth of riches if possible, so that it becomes difficult for the editor and he's got too many good <laughs> good choices. If you're lucky, I'm trying to provide post production with too many great choices so that they can just really cherry pick and refine something so they really come up with the with the best possible show. What is the uh, the difference in a commercial between establishing shots, George, and, and other types of shots? Asking you this for the sake of the listeners here, what, what would you consider as an establishing shot? Yeah, uh, uh, an establishing shot sort of um, it, it takes in the whole scene. Perhaps um, it's 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 uh, uh, one of your safer angles. It would probably include the whole the whole uh, cast. And uh, some some directors uh, will do the whole scene that way, and then definitely do coverage. Others will say, "Well, I'll only be in the establishing shot at the beginning and the end, and uh, we'll cut and then go into coverage, which again is uh, more uh, close-ups or different transitional shots." Uh, you need them. I mean, they could be considered more boring. It's sort of the the high, wide, stupid shot that uh, takes it all in, but I would say in editing, it's always something you need to go to, perhaps, to see your location, your time, place, and it, it connects all your, uh, your actors together. In your work, Thomas, do you actually bring the editor into the production so that, that he or she has a very, very high visibility of not just the footage but the tone and the values and the lyrics and everything else that that's involved or do you just throw the footage at the editor at the end of the day you know it it varies from project to project but i very much like to have the editor come in at least for a while on the set so they get the flavor what we're doing we can talk about at least how we propose to cut it they can see what we had in mind they get a sense for what the set and the whole action looked like on location, which I think is very helpful. You know, it sort of works both ways. In some, you you, you kind of want the editor there for part of it, but there, it, it, in a way, it's very nice for the footage to arrive at the editor and for the editor to become almost a neutral viewer who has no stake in the material. Mm. Uh, you know, as a director, as a director of photography, even as a cast member, for all the 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 various positions you know we everybody puts so much into these productions you got a lot of skin in the game where you want certain scenes that you worked so hard to be in the in the piece and you really kind of want an editor who can look at it uh, objectively and say you know that just the great looking piece just doesn't work that shot we got to dump it what does that offer you though in terms of a compromise as a director how do you work that is it sensible to say that in some films uh, george that editors tend to take on the position of the director unknowingly is that your experience thomas the director is you know sometimes the film or the project can be taken away from the director um on this particular project part of my job was to simply hand the material over to an editor and, and make comments on a rough cut. Uh, usually, you know, a director will follow the project through and really has much of the final say uh, and can kind of overrule an editor, if you will, if they have very different opinions. But most directors, you know, they're working with editors they're comfortable with whose opinions they value highly 
And, you know, they tend to find that uh, sometimes the subjective voice is actually right and that it serves the project better and that they're just too wrapped up in it. Other times, a director's vision, you know, they just feel the need and perhaps they, you know, what they had in mind in the beginning is the way to go. There are many ways that this can play out. What do you both uh, take away from this now? I uh, heard from you, George, that this was, in a way, a segue for Procter & Gamble. What would you both hope for in the future, applying this as a possibly a bit of a different paradigm in the way that you've worked together, in the output? What do you both aspire to now? Well, I definitely hope to work with Thomas again and um, take uh, what we did to another level. I definitely learn some things on this, uh, and uh, I can't wait to apply them and uh, to, to keep growing. And I would say the thing that uh, most connected me with Thomas, you know, he's a, he's a great cook. Our, our, our love of fine wines and uh, fine cuisine. And seriously, I, I think uh, that, that had a connective att- attachment for our, our relationship. What about you, Thomas? Well, I, uh, the same. You know, I, I hope to keep this collaboration going with George. I'm, I'm quite sure that it will. It is kind of the beginning of something uh, that I, I have a, a, a sense will span well into the future. And um, I hope we can continue to, exp- to, exp- to uh, develop this particular form. I like all forms of filmmaking. I like commercials. I, these infomercials for me are very interesting because they are almost like little programs or they're not really like little films, but they're like little programs where you have a wide range of material. You're, you're working in a bit of documentary, a bit of co- a bit commercial. All of a sudden, you're doing a five-camera you know, t- TV talk show. Uh, so they're very interesting. They're, the variety is amazing. And I think we can continue to stretch this area and develop it. And for me, I think it's also clearly an effective way of selling products. These things have done extremely well. And uh, people like to be informed about their purchases. So this has been very interesting. And, you know, I just, this is a, this is a very interesting business. So many ways to go. You never stop learning. If you really enjoy it, there's always new challenge. Every new project, you're doing something that you're not, you've never quite done before. You know, for me, I'm just hoping that someday I will do something that I'm satisfied with. I'm never happy with anything that I do and uh, if I keep keep at it one of these days I'm going to be I'm going to be satisfied in the last 20 seconds uh, Thomas what is the the sort of future that you paint for this sort of work um, do you think that the economy will strive once again to be able to create a, a paradigm where this uh, sort of commercial work can, can really bloom and come back to the surface again well I think so I, I, I think you know the, the economy I hope and I feel that we're on the way back and also I mean, you know, commercials and this, all types of commercials are really at the heart of why the television is able to exist. Without it, we, it just doesn't, it wouldn't work. So, we, you know, this is a need. People sometimes get irritated uh, with too many commercials and this and that, but it's really the driving force behind uh, the programs and what it allows them to, to be possible. So I think, I think we're here to stay. I think we can continue to improve and hopefully hopefully be more effective and uh and and really be uh, you know we're trying to be entertaining as well so uh i see i see a bright future for it george meridian thomas tucker it's been uh, an absolute uh delight 
to talk to you today about the commercial world. I do wish you uh, so much for the future, and I certainly hope that both of you have the opportunity to work together again. Well, Thank you. it's been my pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. And to our listeners, I hope that you as well have enjoyed this program as much as I have. You can get information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Tune in to Inner Speak Soul Adventures Talk Radio Show every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Eastern, and learn how to let go of your past and create the reality you desire and deserve, allowing your inner communication to take place more easily without the interference of our noisy mind chatter or your ego. Inner Speak Soul Adventures with Gene Adrian, right here on the Seventh Wave Network. As a new era approaches December 2012, Evolution invites you to expand awareness now to become the magnificent creator you forgot you are. Explore beyond current sensory perceptions with host Doreen Agostino to align body, mind, spirit, and unleash inner wealth. Discover and apply universal success principles to consciously and deliberately create your life. To align with inner truth, shine light of new thought, and joyfully prosper. Tune in Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Grow Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Annie Arman, live. And teens, you have got to tune into this show and listen to your fellow teens. If you're out there confused because somebody is trying to put doubts in you, making you think that you can't do what you want to do, get it straight. You can, you will, and you will get it done no matter what. And don't ever give up because you're not alone. Don't miss Annie Arman live on Voice America, Wednesdays from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Autism is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. 